This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 52 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Karen Castledine from Work Options. Good morning, Karen. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you, Brendan. Now, I hear this is your first podcast, so um, <laughs> it I, hopefully, is. hopefully it'll be the first of many. We love um, having female, um, you know, owners on the program to, in health and safety. We need, we need more of that. So Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. No. Thank you. How How long have you been involved with work options for? Uh, we're in our twenty second year. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Long yep. time. And so, how did you? How did? What does work options do? I probably should start with that. We're a workforce health provider, so we work with uh, employers and in the personal injury uh, scheme space, and we do uh, a range of services that uh, help prevent injuries and then um, manage them once they occur. So in the personal injury space, that's around things like rehab for injured workers. In the prevention side of it, it's anything from um, mental health programs, employee counselling. We do pre-employment, fitness for work assessments. We do um, on-site workplace drug testing and then a few other little bits and pieces along the way. So has it, over the last 22 years, has it changed much or is it f- fundamentally the same sort of thing like, I don't know, people get injured at work and then they need help getting back to work? Or- yeah, good question, actually. Um, I always say there's a seven-year cycle in on the personal injury scheme. It, it Things change after seven years and they try new things and then invariably it cycles back <laughs> pretty much to how it was before. But fundamentally, it hasn't changed a lot. Yeah. You know, 1998 was really when the key changes came into the scheme. Um, yeah. They brought in the Injury Management Act. Um, but really, you know, people, safety has improved, yeah. but people still get injured and they still need help going back to work. Because there's been a big change with the regulator. I don't know a huge amount about the space, but understand I is it eye care that's I care. Sort of t- taken over now away from private providers? Is that? Yeah, yeah, which, you know, questionable whether it's part of this, you know, one of those seven-year cycles. Right. But, yeah, so in the past you had work cover. Yep. Uh, and then safe work. New South Wales, yeah, and then they and and then you have and you have the regulator, which is uh, CIRA, the State Insurance Regulatory Authority. Yeah, so they've all, I guess, I care sort of assumed work cover, and and they they split off the two. So before the regulator was part of work cover, they were the the scheme manager and the regulator, and that's now been separated out. So we're actually accredited as a rehab provider by. CIRA, but ICARE are the nominal insurer and run the, the New South Wales Workers' Comp scheme. And then under them are insurance companies who are the, the relationship changes over time, but effectively they, they administer claims on behalf of ICARE. So I'm guessing the, like, the fiddling around with the regulations all got to do with trying to save um, money for both employers and insurers. Is that, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And and I, I think I'd add to that the in improving the experience and benefits for injured workers as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 How expensive is it for employers when someone gets injured? Have you got any stats around that? 
It depends on on what um, type of employer you are. So if you're a smaller employer, and that that definition changes over time, but fundamentally if your premium is under 30K, then your claims experience doesn't impact on your premium. Mm -hmm. That's covered by the scheme effectively. So if you're a larger employer and your premium is over, then it's like any insurance policy. If you have a claim, the the cost and severity of that claim and the number of claims you have will will impact on how much premium goes up. And it'll look at what type of business you are. I think one of the big changes in recent years is how um, in the past it went really just on your, you know, your, what's called a WIC code, your, your risk, level of risk. Yeah. Now yeah. It's, it's, it is that, but it's really looking at how you in, um, in that category perform against your peers in that, you know, the other employers. So oh, they'll look at are you performing better and you, you effectively reward it for that. If you're performing worse, then you're going to have an even harder impact on yeah. the premium. It's the NAPLAN of workplace safety. <laughs> you could say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no yeah. I, I'm getting it now. I'm getting it. So Yeah. Well, I guess it, in, it you know, incentivises employers to work harder to, to manage claims better. Yeah. So that 30K premium um, that you mentioned, um, what, like, what sort of, how many staff would that equate to? Is it 50 or um, what? Oh, look, that can depend because that's yeah. where that, that risk comes yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. You can be, you can have quite a number of staff, but you're in a very, very low risk category. So gotcha. you won't go over. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you're yeah. sort of in construction, it's obviously it's going to be, or, or, or manufacturing, be. it might be a much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, so 22 years is a fair, um, you know, stint doing, is it a family business or you? it's all yours? How, what's the setup um, of, your, your, of work options? No, I, I, it's, uh, I'm a sole director. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's just me. Yep. Um, my husband did work in the business for a little while, a, a few years back, but he, he's got his own thing. He does his, he's got his own full-time job. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just me. I actually did buy it off, off someone. I think it was, a, it was only about 18 months old when I bought it. So it was very much in its infancy. Oh, wow. Um, okay. That's I really just bought the license. Yeah. yeah. I see. So, uh, you needed to be accredited obviously to be, be a rehab yeah. provider and then, yeah. 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 Is that, is that a little bit, uh, like owning an RTO? It's quite a rigorous process to get approved is, effectively shortcut your your time to get a license by buying a pre-existing one i I did i mean it's it's not hugely rigorous Mm. Mm. um although it's just changed um there's a new uh, framework that's been put out by sira now and every single provider including us has to go through a a re-accreditation process yeah um and that's happening by one november so we're all madly getting our accreditation in, but, you know, you, it's really about having the right systems in place, um, yeah. the right staff, only certain qualifications can do certain services within the industry. So, yeah, governance, et cetera. So if I was to ask you on average how many how many um, people are you helping per annum, like get back to work and mm. is, that a, is that a metric that you, you would... Because I'm kind of looking at you as a, it's yeah. almost like a, there's a social impact side of the business yeah. as well, where you're, you're, you know, you're not only helping employers, but you, you're helping the 
the people that have genuinely been hurt at work. Yeah. You know, and ultimately, reclaim their lives, really. So that's right. That's right. And ultimately, that's that's what we're all here for is is actually helping the injured worker. Um, sometimes that gets a little lost in you know the the scheme and the politics and commercial aspect, but uh, it is possible to to have a commercial business, but also be helping people yeah. you know get yeah. their life back. Yeah. So, but in terms of look at depends. There are providers of all different sizes there's you know um one person bands to you know national organizations that have several hundred employees across australia so um i'm not actually sure the number of claims per year but it's i mean there are a lot of claims that don't ever come to a rehab provider right they don't need it where we get involved is really where it's either a complex injury or it, the employer needs assistance with helping identify what duties the person can do going back um, or if it's likely to be a prolonged uh, recovery. So, or they can't go back to their job altogether and they need assistance finding a new job. Do, do every one of these, I guess, people or incidents, do they all get like, I'm, I'm going to say investigated, although that's got maybe a negative connotation, but do they have to get mm -hmm. checked to make sure that they're genuine? I mean, or is there a genuine presumption that these are all real yeah. and and um... yeah, a great question, Brendan. And, and in the old old sort of ten years ago, I would say yeah, a lot a lot did. Um, but there was a big change in the scheme where they brought in what's called provisional liability, uh, and they brought that in on the basis that that even those claims that were disputed and investigated, ninety eight percent of claims were accepted anyway. Yeah. So now they they um, in most cases, they will provisionally accept a claim. Um, and sometimes it's, just, it's a technical term, but it allows them to start paying um, some wages, but it allows them to start paying medical bills and treatment. So they get some physio, et cetera. So in the old scheme, they would sometimes wait, you know, 12 weeks before they'd get an approval on their claim. And then in that time, they're not receiving any treatment. So that really yeah. took away that and that real angst that existed in the scheme yeah so i would say yeah the i think the majority of claims don't get investigated um and they're pretty straightforward i mean really unless unless someone raises a concern that you know there was no witness and they believe the person maybe did it on the weekend then they will largely still provisionally accept the claim but they might do that for a period of time while yeah. they gather more information yeah yeah that's right it's it's a bit like um I guess paying your tax bills, right? You put in, it's mm. you put in, you do it in good faith, but then you need to, but need to be prepared that if if the you know the tax man came knocking, that you can you can prove everything that you've stated to be true. Yeah, yeah, and really, if you think about it, if you if you create a scheme where you know people have to prove their disability, their injury all the time, then you know that's not really a a scheme that's based on helping people. And yep. achieving social outcomes is it so? Exactly. Uh, and I, I and, and credit to the regulators and to iCare, they they've come a long way in that regard, and 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 I don't believe that that's that's their key focus. But, well, it would be pretty simple maths, really. Like if ninety eight percent of the claims are genuine, and two percent mm. aren't over time, then you just have to work out what's the cost of. Uh, yeah. investigating everything, and I, I, I guarantee it's going to be more than the 2%. So, 
Yeah, and what you find is that it's not just that you're quite right, and it's not just the ones that you end up proving that weren't genuine. It's and the cost that goes with that. It's all the other people that are waiting. And when you have someone sitting off work for 12 plus weeks because they haven't been able to get treatment and, and get assistance, there's lots of data that shows that the longer a person is off work, the less likely they are to actually get back to work. Yeah, so that early intervention piece gets missed and that's what's really critical. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so do you find that it's the same types of clients coming back to you year after year, like 22 years is like it's a really well-established business? Mm. Is it the same clients or you, you get... Like how do you You're find it? The, yeah, like for work options, how do you how do you get new customers? Is it referral? Yeah, yeah. Or? Uh, it's a combination. So uh, over the years, there's sometimes there's what's called provider panels, which are yep. uh, invariably put out by the insurers. Um, they largely have been removed now. Um, so, but you can still establish. So we we get referrals from either insurance companies who are acting for iCare or directly from iCare. They also manage yeah. claims. Um, but also employers can choose um, to establish a relationship with a provider and nominate them as their preferred provider. Mm-hmm. So often, you know, we'll get a lot of repeat work. Yeah. Um, we also uh, have aligned with a couple of industries where we're the preferred provider for those industries. So waste is one and, and, and civil contracting is another. So we get a lot of work that way. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I guess in a way, hopefully you don't want the same clients coming back uh, <laughs> too much because that would probably indicate that something's wrong. Yeah, you don't get many, you don't get many repeat injured workers. Yeah. Um, but you, you certainly get repeat employers. Yeah. 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 And is that then an opportunity to go in and kind of look at their systems holistically and say, mm. well, why, why are we getting these repeated injuries? Yeah, and what absolutely. And what can we do to fix it? Absolutely, yeah, it is. And it's, you know, that's not funded by the scheme typically. Um, yeah. So that would be, a, you know, a, a commercial, private commercial arrangement. But, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, so it, it might be, it could be anything from looking at, at doing a task analysis, looking at, you know, um, what's their workflow? What are the physical requirements of the jobs? How are they actually managing um, a claim when it actually happens? Are they reporting it quickly? Are they getting assistance quickly? Mm. Sometimes we'll do things um, like put together a, a, a suitable duties register. So helping, so if you imagine someone gets an injury, you send them straight to the doctor, but you've got a pre-prepared document which shows all the different um, physical requirements of all the different jobs. And you can immediately say to that doctor, look, this job is not suitable based on this injury, but we've got these range of options here. Can you certify the person if they're they're fit? Can they do that? And so you can actually get someone back to work really quickly in doing something like that rather than waiting, you know, three, four, five weeks for it to get referred for rehab and assessment being done and et cetera. So um, this is probably a good segue into the new um, business angle or product that you've uh, come up with that we've all been spending a lot of time at home of late Mm. Um, and it's October 21 now. We're in uh, Sydney at least. We're looking at, you know, large amounts of the workforces um, going back to physically going back to their workplaces. Mm. What's what's been the surprise thing that's... uh, 
come up for work options? Well, for us, it's been the rapid antigen testing or COVID testing. Um, so one of the other areas of our business on the prevention side is, is workplace drug and alcohol testing. Uh, and as with the first lockdown and this lockdown, a lot of employers put that on hold. Um, but we got a lot of queries coming through around, can we come out and do PCR testing and, and um, rapid testing? So we, we started doing that because we had a, um, the drug testing crew already. We, we had systems in place already. We're used to going out onto sites and, um, you know, setting up testing um, clinics, I guess, if you want to call it, on site. Um, so it was, you know, a pretty natural sideways step, I guess, for us to do mm. that. Um, but it, it's, been, it's been a really interesting ride. We started doing the PCR when, when Rapid came in. In fact, we were, you know, probably one of the earliest to, uh, with a couple of our customers to adopt it even before health came out with it. Um, and, yeah, started doing it and we're still doing it now. Is that the um, the rapid testing? Is that an Australian product, or is it from overseas? There's look, there's all different ones. A lot of them come from overseas. Yeah. Um, but but the TGA have a have a list of approved um, products. Yeah, yeah. And then you you can only go through certain suppliers or their distributors. Yeah. So and walkers. Oh, sorry. sorry. Keep, you keep going, Karen. Yeah. I was just going to say there's uh, there's restrictions on on you know, who can supply those test kits and who they can be supplied to as yeah. well. Do you think that they're going, because, I mean, there's been talk in the media about people being able to do it at home. Do you think that that's something that will <laughs> come into place? That would mean that would mean actually trusting individuals, which I'm, I'm yes. not sure with, <laughs> whether the government have an appetite for that or not. It's the $64 million question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if you look overseas, it's been happening for a long time. Uh, you, you, know, you mean the, you mean you you are allowed to do a test at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. self testing uh, overseas has been happening a long time. You know, if you want to go into a restaurant, um, sometimes you you know the restaurant may require you to to do a rapid test beforehand. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. I, I've been asked this question a lot. I don't know the answer, and I don't know that anyone really yeah. does. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it comes out. Um, I mean, the government has indicated they they are going to to allow self-testing. Mm. Um, but in what capacity and, you know, how that will play out, that's the unknown at the moment. I have my doubts whether it will be a recommended um, tool in a workplace setting. Yeah. And I think you hit nail on the head when you, when you said about trust. And it's not necessarily that every um, employee, you know, won't do the do- right thing. Yeah, yeah. But you, it's also trusting that they can use the equipment properly, that they can interpret the results. Um, and, you know, if, if they do get a positive result, you are relying on that person to declare that. And if their job is on the line and they have to isolate at home for 14 days and not get paid, that's a big risk. You know, yeah. you're shifting your risk as an employer completely into the hands of, of that employee. And they may not be a permanent employee that you've known. They could be a subcontractor. They could be a casual worker that that works from you for you to, um, from time to time. So, personally, yeah. I think it's a big, big risk. And you know, like you, I work in risk. Uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> my recommendation is you, you need to do a risk based assessment. On, That's right. On you, you, whether you want to do that. 
you might save some money in the testing and then it costs you in a liability, an unintended liability um, later exactly. on. Exactly, yeah. So, so I'm curious, walk us through, so the, the, uh, the customers that are doing rapid testing now, can you give us a, a uh, example? Like without, you don't have to name any names, but just mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see what's the reasoning behind or, or the, you know, the driver why they're, they're doing yeah. the rapid testing. Um, there's, uh, we, we do a, a lot in construction and waste. So there'd be our two main areas. Um, there's, there's really two motivators. One is where the public health order has been requiring, requiring them to do originally PCR testing. Mm. And then it came in to say that in, um, a, a rapid test could be used in, in, um, place of a PCR. Yeah. So, so I'm taking PCR is the up the nostril. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both actually up the nostril. But oh, the PCR, are they? Okay. Yeah. The, the difference is, sorry, I should, probably should have explained this. The, the PCR is the typical one that when you go to a COVID testing clinic, yeah, yeah it goes up the nose and it goes to a lab and, you, and the lab will put it through an analysis and it's yep. the gold standard, yep. right? The rapid is an on-site um, uh, test. So you, you'd still take the the um, swab up the nose, you put it in a solution and then it goes onto a device and it's a bit like a pregnancy test. It comes right. up, you know, one line, you're not pregnant, two lines, you're pregnant. Gotcha. In this case, you have a yeah. positive. So it's um, still uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. There are saliva ones out there. Uh, mm. We've just started trialing a new saliva product, um, which the person puts in their mouth and sort of self Mm. Um, administers, but we still read it and put it through the solution. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, going back to your question, the second reason is is risk. Yeah. Uh, and and what I've found is that if you're an employer who takes that risk pretty serious and the, and you know the repercussions, you were already doing it from the beginning and, and the, the cost was something that you were willing to do. Yeah. And those employers have were early adopters and have really stayed the course and are still testing. Yeah, right. There were some that, that came in because they had to, but as soon as that went, they stopped. Yeah. Um, a couple came back after they had some positive cases <laughs> at their workplace. Um, but yeah. So to me, it's not a replacement of, the gold standard of PCR, it's an additional tool to, to help minimise your risk. Yeah, the rapid I mean, is picking up um, asymptomatic people uh, where, yeah. you know, so obviously if you've got a, you know, we all know if you've got a cough and a sniff, you go and get a test done, whereas this is picking up people who don't have symptoms, you know, in that acute sort of phase. Usually it's about a week before symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really a simple maths equation for businesses. The, the cost of having someone doing the rapid testing versus the cost of your business shutting down for, you yeah. know, five to 14 days because you've had a, a positive yeah. a positive test case. So yeah. If, yeah, if the cost of testing is far less, then it's probably, you know, worth doing really. Yeah, and that's where that... that- you know, risk assessment really comes into it. There are other ways that obviously an employer can can manage that risk. It, it's not just testing. And, you know, we've seen a lot of employers doing that through, you know, crew A, B and C and, you know, mm. breaking up shifts, having different work zones and, and things yeah. like that to help stop the, the, um, the shutdown peaks. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is going to be interesting to see what, you know, we're almost at that 80% level, but I think, I feel there's still quite a bit of caution in the community and business community as to what mm. it looks like having people come back to the workplace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you think about it, even if we get to 90%, that's still 10% of, of people out there that, that um, aren't, aren't vaccinated and are going to be at higher risk. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't need to to go yeah. through through that side of it but that's still you know they are going to be at higher risk of of catching it and and transmitting it um, yeah. within your workplace so you know you, there's still no guarantee that you're not going to have it come into your workplace yeah and so what does the future look like for work options you've been going for 22 years um what what are the what are the future plans oh gosh that's a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, a lot of the same, I guess. Um, yeah. we're, we're, you know, the drug testing is starting to ramp back up now as, as um, you know, the, we, the freedoms and we all start opening back up again. But, yeah, look, we, we, you know, we plan to continue doing the rehab, continue doing the, the injury prevention side of things. We are about to launch a new uh, employee counselling uh, platform soon. Yep. So, Maybe that's another a conversation down the track. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of the same, but but you know, always we're always looking at how we can do things better and and, yeah. and improve things and how technology can make us more efficient and help our customers more as well. Yeah. So it it sounds like you clearly enjoy what you're doing and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would hope so after 22. Years. Yeah. <laughs> Either yeah. that or I'm a little crazy, but yeah. 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 No, there must be. There must. I, I think. There must be a sense of satisfaction there to be able to, um, you know, make that positive impact and and help mm. people. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I really love uh, the employer piece. I love working with employers and, yeah, you know, looking at how we can help them improve their safety and their performance as well. That's that's my you know, passion. That's brilliant. Okay, Karen. Well, thank mm. you very much for coming on the show today. If people want to find out a little bit more about work options. Um, what's your website? Uh, it's pretty simple, www.workoptions.com.au. Fantastic. Okay, Karen. All right. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.